It is so good to see you. Uh, I am so glad that you're here. And I want to welcome each one of you, whether you are in Rock Island, joining us online, men in Kiwani, or right here in Bettendorf. I am so grateful that you're here. You see, when we gather in moments like this, it's not simply to check that I went to church box. Right? When we gather in moments like this on weekends, it's simply to come before the throne of God with a desperation and a humility to grab hold of him. And we gather to worship the very God who created us, the God who loves us, the God who extends grace and mercy to us, and the God that we experience as Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, these moments are so important that we gather, in, the, in fact, the writer of Hebrews implores us in Hebrews chapter 10 where he says, do not give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing. He says, don't stop showing up. Don't stop gathering to worship. But he says literally, but gather and encourage one another and all the more as Jesus's return draws near. Now, I recognize that for some of us, we come in these spaces this weekend and it's that very encouragement that the author of Hebrews references that we are desperate for today. And my prayer for you um, has been and continues to be that you have been encouraged as we've engaged in lobbies across our network or in worship. And then my prayer is that we'll continue to be encouraged as we engage God's word together today. Now, as we jump into God's word, we're continuing our journey up to, to Christmas in this Advent season. As we've talked about before, Advent is simply an active waiting it's a period of, marked by preparation and expectation of what is to come in Christmas. Now, we know that Jesus came on that first Christmas day, right? And we believe by faith, knowing that Jesus is coming back in that second coming. And so for us, we want to be found waiting well. And in fact, that's part of the reason we've, in this trajectory up to Christmas, have taken time to explore what it means to grab hold of the peace and the hope and the joy that's available by faith in Jesus. Now, last few weeks, we've taken a look at the, the gift of peace, and we've taken a look at the gift of hope, and, and last week even took a look at the gift of faith. And this weekend, as we jump into the scripture, we're going to take a look at the gift of joy. Now, like many of you, I love Christmas. Anybody love Christmas? All right, this season of Christmas that starts after Thanksgiving, let me be clear about that, okay? So, like, and I love Christmas. I love the music, songs like Silent Night and Oh Holy Night and Joy to the World. I mean, these are the classics, aren't they? I mean, and I love those, but I also love songs like Jingle Bells, right? And Rudolph the Resonor's Reindeer, and yes, even Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer, all right? Don't judge me. Like, I love the music. Any of you like Christmas lights? Yeah, I love, love Christmas lights this time of year. In fact, if you get one of these, uh, these pair of little glasses here, you put them on, and it turns every single light into a snowman, which is awesome, all right, which is even better when you drive at night, and you're going down the road, and you're coming up to a, a stoplight, and it's like a 30-foot red snowman, like, bearing down on you. Like, these things are awesome, or, or so I've heard. Um, uh, but I do. I love the lights, and I love the, the events. I mean, the Christmas parties and the white elephant gift exchanges, those are hilarious to me. And, and the ugly Christmas sweaters are classic. And don't even get me started on the food, okay? Like, we're not going to go there today. But, but I love everything about Christmas. But do you know what I love the most about Christmas? It's that sense of anticipation or joy that seems to be prevalent everywhere. Now, I know that's not true of everyone in every space, but you know what I'm talking about. These are the, the children who are counting down the days to Christmas, right? 
These are the moments with family that you're, and friends that you're laughing and so hard, you know, that you cry kind of deal. Or, or this is even the interaction with the cashier at the gas station who's normally a little grumpy in the morning. But in the Christmas season, she'll look you in the eye with a smile and say, you know, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Right? This is the moment when there's like the awe and anticipation and the joy and seeing a 35-foot, you know, Santa inflatable along with 140 others in one lawn. Right? Like it's crazy. But it's that, it's that sense of anticipation and that joy. And what I love most about that is that it gives us just a glimpse of the gift of joy that God offers to you and I by faith in Christmas. You see, here's how we define joy in the, in the Webster's Dictionary. It says this, is that joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Another definition is it's, that it's a source or cause of delight. Now, many of us resonate with this definition here, don't we? Right? When life is going well, our bodies are in good shape, our kids are behaving, praise God, right? Um, like, we got money in the bank, our business is going well, we're, we're rolling down the road in our Tesla, and we're like, this is joy, baby. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, this is what we think of when we think of joy. But here's the reality. As we jump in Scripture today, we're going to get a glimpse of the gift of joy that God offers us that is radically different than any of that. In fact, as we jump into Scripture, we're going we're gonna to take a look at two very different groups of people that encountered this joy. I mean, in fact, I don't think they could be any more different. I mean, whether it's based on reputation or status or influence or, or even wealth. But what we're going to see in these two very different groups of people is that they both were given the opportunity to embrace the gift of joy that God offers. So I encourage you, if you have your Bible, uh, turn or click to Luke chapter 2. We're going to get there just in a moment. I want to catch up to speed on what's going on, because last week we were here and we explored the, the moment that the angel came and appeared to Mary, and, and it was in that space that the angel says, you know what, Mary, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. I mean, it's this crazy moment. And Mary, counting the cost, knowing that there's sacrifice, knowing that it's going to create hardship in her world, she looks at this angel and with great faith and says, let it be as you have said, right? And then fast forward roughly nine months. I think that's how long it takes for, you know, the, the bread to bake in the oven and that kind of year, right? And, and Christmas Day comes. The day has arrived. Jesus is here. You know, Emmanuel, God with us. And this is when we pick up in Luke chapter 2. And it says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, let me pause here because if we don't understand the significance of what the shepherds are, we miss a significant portion of why this is so important. You see, shepherds were at the bottom rung of the social ladder in the days when Jesus was born. I mean, they were right there alongside tax collectors and pooper scoopers, all right, literally, right? They didn't drive cars, all right? They drove things that had waste, and that's what happened. And so, literally, they're at the bottom alongside those in the social ladder. They don't have any civil rights. In fact, they couldn't even testify in court because their testimony wasn't considered valid. This is a group of people that were, who were despised. They were the ones who were outcast. They were out in the fields by themselves, lonely. In fact, they were deemed in the class called sinners. This is who the shepherds were. And the shepherds were going about there at normal work one, one night and would, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And it says this, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Of course they were, Right? I mean, they're normally by themselves, and all of a sudden these angels show up, and the glory of the Lord appears, and I mean, I'm sure they jump behind the, the sheep and wet themselves, and we're scared to death, 
But then look at what happens. It says this, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. It says, I bring you good news of great what? Joy. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And they go on to say, this is where the good news comes from, that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you because I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to identify a different child. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I mean, this is a crazy story. And it gets even crazier in the, in the scriptures ahead in which it went from just one angel in, interacting with, with the shepherds to what it calls a great multitude of angels arrive and a worship concert breaks out, right? These angels arrive and all of a sudden they're like, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to whom his favor rests. I mean, there is this, this celebration and there's this worship that's taking place. And then once the worship was done, the angels were gone. And the shepherds, like a deer in the headlights, look at each other and they're like, we better go figure this out. And so they, let's go find this child that's lying in a manger. So they begin this passionate mission and this passionate pursuit to find this child. Now, I love this story. I love it. And I, one of the reasons that I love it the most is having been a dad, I know what it was like the first time I saw that pregnancy test. And I saw the two lines. And I, I remember the anticipation and the excitement of, of that day that was to come. Even though I didn't know the exact day, I was, I was excited. Is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? You know, the whole, the whole deal was exciting. And when I think about this story, and I think about the reality that God the Father had waited thousands of years for this day. Literally, go back to Genesis chapter 3, like the second page of your Bible, right? It's in that moment that the fall happens, sin enters the world, and the first prophecy of this child, this son, this Messiah, and literally thousands of years later, the day has come, Christmas is here, Jesus is born, and God the Father looks and he says, out of all the people I can send my angels to, out of all the people I want to go and to announce the arrival of my son, he picks the lowly shepherds the ones who are despised, the ones who others wouldn't even listen to. He picks them for the angels to go and say, listen, there's good news of great joy for all people. Now, fast forward to Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn or click there. Because as this is going on, Jesus is, is born. The angels are interacting with the shepherds. Something is also happening that maybe the shepherds didn't even take notice of. Mary, maybe Mary and Joseph certainly maybe wouldn't have seen this, but what happened is a star has formed. And this isn't just a normal star. This, this star is, is extraordinary. And this star is formed, and it's made its way up into the heavens. And at this moment, although un, maybe unknowingly for the shepherds and for Mary and Joseph, there's another group of people on the other, far, far away, who are radically different in radically different circumstances from a whole different race, a whole different culture, who take notice. And read this in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, some of you maybe in translations you see the word wise men, right? These are, these are people who are highly influential, who have wealth, who have resources, who have great reputations, most, most likely astrologists. These magi from the east, now these aren't Jews, these are Gentiles, they're from, from most likely from Persia. So these magi from the east come to Jerusalem and ask, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
And so what we see here is the Magi are probably going about what they do day in and day out. They're, they're looking at the stars, the movement of the stars, because they literally believed that, that based on the movement of the stars, they could predict what was coming ahead. And in the moment of doing what they didn't normally do, they see this star that, that pops up on the radar, a star unlike any other. So they have to go and begin to do some research. They can't explain this. So maybe they call together some of the religious leaders from the Jews who had been exiled there. And, and over a course of time, they identify that this star is unlike any other because this star is one that marks the arrival of a king. And not just any king. This star marks the arrival of the king of the Jews. And so they get together their caravan. There's not probably just three wise men or magi, by the way. There could have either been two or there could have been 20. We don't know, but they got their group of people, and they began the journey to Jerusalem. After all, if a king is going to be born, you would think he'd be born in the most influential city, right? And so they make their way to Jerusalem. They share with King Herod, and then it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed, of course, because if this new king, this Messiah that the people had, had been waiting for was really there, that meant his kingdom could be overthrown. So he was scared. He was afraid. And so he calls together the chief priests and the religious leaders, and he says, okay, come here and tell me where this Messiah is to be born. And so they go on and they share Micah chapter 5, the prophecy that Jesus, this child, would be born in Bethlehem. And so with that information, King Herod draws the Magi back to himself and literally drills them over, tell me the exact time you saw the star. Why is that important? Because they want to know how old, he wants to know how old Jesus is, right? Because he wants to go find Jesus and eliminate the problem. And so he brings the Magi to him. He finds out when it was. And then he tells him, listen, you go to Bethlehem. You find the child and come back to me so that I can worship him. He didn't want to worship him. He wanted to eliminate him, right? But let's see how the Magi respond in verse 9. It says, and after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So when they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. They were what? overjoyed. And on coming to the house, let me pause here just for a second, all right? This is like bonus material, has nothing to do with the message, right? I'm just going to throw that out there now. Let me ask you a question. Where was Jesus born? In a stable, right? In a manger. Yet it says they came to the house. Somebody this week asked me, what is your favorite thing to do in Christmas? And I went on to tell them that um, my favorite thing to do when I go to someone's house is when I see their nativity set, when I see the wise men at the nativity, in the nativity scene, I like to actually take the wise men and I like to go place them on the other side of the house, right? Because the reality is I, out of my love for them, want their nativity scene to be the most biblically accurate scene possible, all right? And so the reality was the, the magi, the wise men, weren't at the nativity scene. Jesus was probably a year or two old by the time they got there, right? And so listen, it's okay if you have the wise men at the nativity scene. Just know, if you invite me over, they're probably going to be moved, all right? So back to what we're talking about here. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, very different than the shepherds, right? They had something to offer, and they opened their treasures, and they presented him, Jesus, with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, the Magi, they knew who Jesus was. They, didn't, they knew that Jesus wasn't going to become the king someday, but rather the moment Jesus was born, he was the king. 
You see, that's why they gave him the gift of gold. It was, it was, a, it was a gift fit for a king. And they were acknowledging his kingship. And, and then they gave him the gift of frankincense, which would have been used in, in temple worship. And this was the, speaking to Jesus' priestly role or his role as God. And then that myrrh was a foreshadowing of the type of death that Jesus would die for you and for me. You see, we have two radically different groups of people. One that had status and one that had none. One that had influence, one that had none. One who had wealth and prosperity, one that had none. Yet they both were given the opportunity to embrace the gift of joy that was found in Jesus. You see, each one of us, as we come in this space this weekend, we most likely identify maybe more so with the shepherds or with the magi. For some of us, we walk in these spaces and we feel like everything that we have has been taken from us. That we are alone and isolated and forgotten. And others of us in this space today, if we're honest, we're saying, you know what, I think I got everything the world has to offer. I have wealth and influence and, and a solid reputation. And yet deep within us, there's this stirring and this searching, wondering if there isn't more to life or more to this joy in Christmas. And so today, listen, we, each one of us, wherever you find yourself, we're, we are all in a space of waiting, in a space of waiting, in a space of Advent. In fact, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this diagram, and the reality is we're all in this space of waiting between what is, what we're encountering today, and what isn't, in a space of what we're walking in now and longing for and waiting for what is next. And as we've talked about, it's in this waiting space. Yes, we can encounter hope by faith in Jesus. It's in this waiting space that we can encounter the gift of peace as we place our faith in Jesus. But it's also in this waiting space, regardless of if it, today it's marked by anticipation and excitement and jubilee, or if it's marked by pain and suffering, the gift of joy is available to each and every one of us. And so there's some things, I, as we engage scripture today, I want to look at what is this gift of joy that God offers to you and to me. Now, at first what I want to understand is what joy isn't, all right? Because joy isn't found in money. It's not found in how many zeros are on the back end of your check or how many zeros are in your bank account or how your, how your portfolio is performing. It's not found in, you know, what you have in your 401k when you're looking to retire. It's not found in money. It's not found in stuff. It's not found in which neighborhood you live in. It's not found in whether you drive a Beamer or a Beater, okay? Like, it's not found in whether you're in a, a two-bedroom home or a five-bedroom home. Because joy isn't found in our stuff. It's not found in romance. Joy isn't found in whether you're married today or you're not married or whether you're in a relationship or you're single. It's not found in if your marriage is thriving today or if your marriage is on the rocks. You see, joy isn't found in romance, and it's not found in our kids. And I love my kids. But joy isn't found in our kids. It's not found in our position. It's not found in whether or not we got that promotion or if we have a, a director title. It's not found in our power. It's not found in whether people report to us or whether we report to people. Joy isn't found in food, and I almost didn't include this one. I'll tell you that right now, all right? But joy isn't found in food. It's not found in our friends. And, and I have great friends, and I love my friends dearly. But listen, joy isn't found in friends. Joy isn't found in our health. It doesn't matter if we're in tip-top shape today or if our body literally is falling apart and failing us. Our joy isn't found in that. And listen, joy's not even found in freedom. 
Even if you're walking in the midst of bondage and addiction today, joy is not found in freedom. In fact, brothers in Kiwani, I know that you are days and months away from walking out of those doors, and we are so pumped for you. But the reality is, is that joy isn't found in freedom. You see, what is found in a lot of these things that I just mentioned is happiness, right? I mean, we encounter these things, and we, we, we experience happiness, and we love that. But here's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness can leave as quickly as it came. In one phone call, one stock market crash, one accident, everything that we've been basing all those, our happiness in can be taken away. But that's not true of joy. You see, joy isn't found in anything. It's only found in Jesus. Joy is not found in that blank is intentional. I don't, I, don't want, I don't know what the blank is for you and what you need to fill in that blank with, but the reality is joy is only found in Jesus. Now, the New Testament is written in Greek, and so both the passages in Matthew 2 and Luke 2 were both written in Greek. And so this week, as I was just diving into this idea of the gift of joy, I, I went back and I looked up the original Greek word for the, the word that's translated joy in Luke chapter 2, when the angels say, I've come to give great news of great joy for all people, and the word that's translated as overjoyed in Matthew chapter 2, when it says the, the magi saw the star and were overjoyed. And both of them are actually the same Greek word, and it's the Greek word hara. All right, so I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say hara. Look at you, Greek scholars. Well done. All right? And so it's this word, hurrah. And so then as I did more research and just the, the, the where that word, word hurrah is derived from or where it comes from, it comes from the Greek word charis. Charis, now listen to this. Charis is the word that we get, is the root word that we get the word grace. So check this out. Joy, hurrah, is produced by God's Charis, grace. And God's grace personified is who? Jesus. Jesus. You see, joy doesn't come from anything else other than Jesus. And that's why the gift of joy is available to us today. Whether we are walking through times of great jubilee or we're walking through circumstances that are difficult and hard because the reality is, is that gift of joy, hurrah, is available for all of us. In fact, look at how the shepherds respond. They go, they find Jesus, they, they worship him. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, it, it shows them going back to their fields. And it says this, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now let me ask you today, what had changed in the shepherd's life? Had their circumstances changed? Nope. Had their reputation changed? Nope. Would anybody now listen to them? Were they now credible witnesses? Nope. In fact, it, that's why it's crazy to me that the first people that God called to go and to share the good news of great joy for all people was the very shepherds that others wouldn't listen to. But what had changed is that these lowly, despised shepherds had encountered and received the gift of joy that was available as they encountered Jesus, because joy is found only in Jesus. It may surprise you. I know it surprised me this week as I was looking at this, this word that, as it's used throughout the New Testament, the hurrah, the joy. And as I came across the Apostle Paul, Apostle Missionary Church Planner Paul, um, most of the time when he wrote about this joy, it was in association with suffering and hardship. 
I mean, we see this throughout Paul's writings all over the place. But here's one example I wanted to share with you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe, what? Suffering. In the midst of severe suffering, Paul says, you welcomed this message with the, what? Joy given by the Holy Spirit. He says, in the midst of severe suffering, you welcome the message with joy. Hurrah. But what's interesting is this Greek word right here for suffering is the word thalipsis. Now, thalipsis would have been a very intentional word that Paul used because he wanted to make sure that those who were reading this letter understood the depth of the, and the severity of the suffering that these people were walking through. In fact, thalipsis literally is the word that would, would mean like a, a high-pressure situation. And a scholar noted that the first time that this was used, it would actually would have been used to represent the act of a, of a victim being tied with ropes and being forced to lay on his back while they placed a massive boulder on his chest until it crushed him to death. That's the picture of the suffering that Paul is alluding to, but in the midst of that, that this joy was available. Now, I know that that's probably a severe example for us today, hopefully. But the reality is, as many of us, these spaces that we walk in, these waiting spaces of life are marked by great pressure and suffering. There's moments where in these waiting spaces that it can just feel like the walls of life are literally caving in on top of us. These moments where we feel like we can't breathe, like we can't go on, that it's impossible. But it's in these spaces that this gift of joy that God offers us that's found in Jesus is available to us. And that's significant because one thing that is very different from the, what, how the Bible describes joy and how we understand joy in our world is this reality that joy in Scripture thrives in the presence of hardship. Joy thrives, not in the absence of, but in the presence of hardship. I mean, we see this throughout the New Testament, right? We, we just reference one example as Paul was writing, and we see this in Paul's life where he endured great hardship but walked in great joy. We see it in Mary and Joseph, don't we? I mean, that, that being the, the parents of Jesus came with, with great hardship and, and, and impacted their reputation, but yet they walked in great joy. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Anna, and Anna who had been a widow for decades, and, and that and marked by sadness and grief and hardship, yet Anna walked in great joy. The New Testament church in the book of Acts, I mean, they were persecuted, they were stoned, they were killed, but yet even in the midst of incredible affliction, incredible hardship, they walked in great joy. Or how about Jesus? In Hebrews chapter 12 when it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You see, joy, the gift of joy that God offers us, thrives in the presence of of hardship. G, uh, James, Jesus' brother, who, by the way, ended up being persecuted and dying for his faith in his brother, Jesus, the Messiah. He was so important for him, to, for his people to understand that idea that joy thrives in hardship, that he writes this as he begins his letter, uh, James, James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, consider it pure what? Joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The moments where you're suffering, where it seems like life is hard, the boulders are heavy. He says, consider it joy when you endure those trials. And he says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You see, joy 
thrives in the presence of hardship. I love how Aldwald Chambers says it. He says it this way. He says, joy is the great note all through the Bible. We have this notion of joy that arises from good spirits or good health, but the miracle of joy of God has nothing to do with a man's life or his circumstances or the condition that he is in. Jesus Christ does not come to a man and say, cheer up, cheer up. But rather, he plants within a man the miracle of the joy of God's own nature. You see, joy is available only through Jesus. It's found only in Jesus. And it's not dependent on our circumstances. It's not dependent on whether we're walking through times of jubilee or times of hardship. And that's really good news. But this third truth about joy, this gift of joy, that's great news is this reality that joy can't be stolen. It can't be stolen. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say, ain't nothing stealing my joy. Make sure you wag that finger. Come on. All right, other, turn to your other neighbor say, ain't nothing stealing my joy. Nice. Some of you are sassy. I see that right now. Okay. <laughs> but here's the reality. Nothing can steal our joy. Why? Because our joy is rooted in Jesus. Our joy is rooted in Jesus. Look at Galatians chapter 5 where it says this, verse 22. It says, but the fruit or the gift of the Spirit, when we grab hold of Jesus and we seek to grab hold of him and chase after him and pursue him, the gift of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Our joy can't be stolen because it's a gift that God gives us through the Holy Spirit when we seek to grab hold of his son, Jesus. So our joy can't be stolen, but hear me today. Our joy can't be stolen, but it can be forfeited. It can be forfeited. In other words, we can walk through these seasons of waiting and fixate our eyes and our minds on the very circumstances that we're in. We can be pursuing things that, that the ultimately that we think are going to bring us joy, but really it's about happiness. And, and we can find ourselves setting ourselves up for disappointment and living in a posture where we literally forfeit the very gift of joy that God has come to give us through his son Jesus. And it's a humbling reality, but our, our joy can't be stolen, but it can be forfeited. I love some of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples literally hours before he would be betrayed, before he would be tortured, before he would be killed. In John chapter 16, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, so with you, now is, now is your time of grief because I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. But listen what he says, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your what? Joy. He says, listen, I'm going to die. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to suffer. I'm, but listen, I'm coming back. And I'm coming back. And because of that, you will rejoice. You will have joy. It doesn't mean life's going to be easy. But your joy cannot be stolen. But man, we can forfeit it. So today, our joy, this gift of joy that God offers us is available and found only in Jesus. It thrives in hardship. And praise God, it cannot be stolen. So you may be asking today, so what? What does this mean for me today? And some of us, I know we walk in and it's this word of encouragement that we need today. And whether you're walking through the doors today and you feel like you have expectation and joy and, and anticipation or Christmas, or maybe you're walking through the doors this weekend uh, with, with circumstances in the waiting period that are marked by pain and suffering and grief, the reality, the good news is that the gift of joy is available for us. But the gift of joy is only found in Jesus. So today, listen, 
If you're in a place where you have never encountered Jesus, you've never placed your faith and your trust in him, don't let another day go by without you making that step. Hear me, the the peace and the hope and the joy that you've been longing for, that you've been created to walk in in the midst of this life is available only through faith in Jesus. And today can be the day that you step from death to life into relationship with him. So if that's you today and you find yourself just going, I want that, I want that joy, I want that peace, I want that hope, I encourage you, turn over your teaching outline. On the back, there's three steps in a sample prayer. It's not mad, magic words. It's, it's the heart behind it, acknowledging that, Jesus, I've messed it up. I've sinned and I fall short, but I know, Jesus, that you came on that Christmas day. You lived the life I couldn't live. You paid the price for my sin on the cross. I know you rose again, and I'm asking you today to come be my king, my Lord, and to give me the joy, peace, and hope that none can take away. And if that's you, do that today. Let us know on the tear-off cards. But for all of us, whether you're stepping into relationship just a moment ago or you've been walking with Jesus for decades, I want us to wrestle with this question today. And it's the question of what are you pursuing as you wait? What are you pursuing as you wait? All of us today are in a period of waiting And the question is, is what are we pursuing? Or maybe who are you pursuing as you wait? Are you pursuing favorable circumstances or or some of the things that were listed, money and power and position and, and romance and children? Or are you pursuing passionately Jesus? It's a pretty deep question, isn't it? It's a probing question. But it's a question that if we want to be found waiting well, that we have to take the time to really wrestle with and allow the Holy Spirit to speak clearly in us. You know, it's my prayer for us that we'll live out the words of Hebrews chapter 12, in which it says this, and let us run with perseverance the race, the life, regardless of the terrain, right? Regardless of whether it's rocky or if it's flat ground, regardless of whether we're running on cement or we're running through the muck and slime and mire. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? On who? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The question today that we have to ask is, what are you or who are you pursuing as you wait. And you may find in the coming moments as you have a time just to, to process that and to ask the Holy Spirit to make that clear to you that there may be a part of you that the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, you're pursuing the wrong thing. And maybe today will be a moment where you go, I'm going to recalibrate. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of my faith. He is the source of my joy and my hope and my peace because Jesus, listen, he is the one we pursue in Advent. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our hope. And Jesus is our joy. And so let me ask you today, what are you pursuing while you wait? Our worship teams are going to come and lead us in a moment. And I encourage you to wrestle with this question as they begin to play. And may this be a day that forever changes the trajectory of how you view Advent, how you view Christmas, how you view this season of waiting in your life. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are a God who is not distant and aloof, but that you are a God in the very moment that sin entered the world and we were separated from you, that we're looking forward to the day of Christmas when you would send your son, Jesus, into this world. 
to provide a pathway to both reconciliation and uh, relationship with you, but God, also a way to encounter the gifts of peace and hope and joy. And Jesus, today I pray as we ask this question of ourselves, the Holy Spirit, would you make it very clear if we're pursuing anything other than you, and may you find us faithful today to, to run this race, this life, with our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, so that we may encounter the joy, the gift of joy that you've offered us, a joy that just thrives in hardship, a joy that can be never taken away. And so, Jesus, we give you praise today. Speak to us now, Spirit, and may we be forever changed. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.